Monsanto is probably more evil than you even thought they were. Hi, this is Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health. And today we are joined by Carrie Gillum, who is an investigative journalist and has written an entire book about this topic called Whitewash. She dives really deep into the backstory of Monsanto and the pernicious, catastrophic consequences of their intervention on not only our culture in the United States, but across the world. It truly, to say it is devastating, is probably one of the serious, most serious understatements of the year. So Carrie is an, an interesting individual. She is wearing the white hat. She has one of the one of the few journalists who are out there who actually seem to have enough integrity where they abandon their profession. Because I believe that you were a, an investigative reporter for a journalist for Reuters, got fed up, and I want to hear the story from you directly, and then you just started going out on your own. You actually joined the, a phenomenal organization called U.S. Right to Know and doing wonderful work with them. So why don't you share your story with it? Because I'm sure it's intriguing. Okay. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for that introduction. Yeah. I've been a journalist my whole, my whole adult life, really, uh, more than 25 years. I spent most of my career with Reuters, which, you know, as you know, is a, is a global news organization, very highly respected, highly regarded. Uh, my primary job there was to be based in the Midwest, you know, U.S. heartland, uh, and get to know farming and food production and get to understand what in the 1990s, when I was assigned to this, was really, um, you know, a revolutionary sort of thing happening in agriculture. It was Monsanto. And let me let me stop you there because yes. just to give you just to have you give a little bit more background because you're in the heartland you're actually in Kansas yes. and you're recording this in Kansas and you have a, a connection to farming which is was probably was a good fit for you so maybe if you can expand on that too well when I when I moved here I mean I moved here in the 1990s to cover food and ag for uh, Reuters I was covering banking in Atlanta basically and didn't really okay. know much about food and farming. Um, and wasn't sure it would be that exciting, actually. Uh, you know, but you know, it was it seemed like a decent job and a good opportunity, and the traffic was a lot better than Atlanta. So you know, here I came to Kansas City, and uh, immediately started digging in and trying to learn everything about Monsanto, who had then just introduced genetically engineered crops. Uh, and the other companies that were were doing the same were really involved in agriculture, DuPont, DuPont Pioneer, Dow AgroSciences, meeting with farmers, meeting with scientists, agronomists, academics involved in this work, you know, doing what a journalist does, trying to mm -hmm. learn everything, get your arms around it, and understand the impacts on the different players, on the investment community, on, you know, the food production system, on exports, you know, really trying to understand it all. And that's what I've done for all of these years. And, go, but, and going into this, you were not biased against Monsanto. You didn't really understand the whole process and thought that they were probably good guys. Well, I, I thought genetic engineering sounded cool, right? Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. Absolutely. And uh, I and that term was not chosen uh, indiscriminately. I mean, there was great <laughs> decision and and uh, insights that and wisdom that went in making that because it does sound right. scientific. Right, right. And uh, and I used Roundup. You know, it worked great. I used it to kill weeds in my yard. So no, I had no. I came at this with with no preconceived biases or or you know, I as a reporter 
for your entire life, you really learn to set aside any sort of bias because that's not, it's not fair. And uh, it's not the way that you accurately learn about and report and share information. So, um, you know, the book is really the culmination of 20 years of being heavily involved in this world and spending a lot of time with Monsanto and with Dow and DuPont and farmers. And glyphosate, you know, Roundup is, is sort of the vehicle for my book. Uh, Monsanto and the story of how they pushed this weed killer to become the most widely used in the world, right? Used on our farm fields and mm -hmm parks and playgrounds and lawns and gardens and, you know, utility right of ways and forestry management. I mean, it is everywhere. And that is very strategically by design, by Monsanto's brilliant design. Um, and what the point that I hope that this book makes is that this glyphosate and Monsanto are really the poster child, poster children, poster child for a much larger problem of corporate push for pesticide dependence in our world. And, and we've followed, followed that lead by the nose pretty much. And we now are awash in pesticides with glyphosate being perhaps the most worrisome. Uh, and, and so that's the book, you know, sort of the yeah. summary of the book. So if anyone's interested in this field, and most of our readers would be, I couldn't recommend your book more highly. Uh, you know, the books are one of the best investments you could possibly make, literally for $20 or less, you're going to get 20 years of dedicated research on this topic. So, and it's a crazy good leverage of your investment and to obtain the knowledge you put together is just uh, very useful if you have any, any interest in this field. So let's shoot back to um, glyphosate, I guess yeah. is a good place. It's, it's, I think it's registered in 130 countries around the world. And uh, the, the use has gone up exponentially, of course, and to the point now, when I think the latest statistics I have, and these are not from your book, so they may not be correct, but it was about four and a half billion pounds per year globally every year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is just, I mean, it's of course not that much in the United States. It's a small fraction of that, maybe half a million, 300 Three, million pounds. 300 million pounds is about the yeah. round number, yeah. Yeah, so um, it's still a lot. <laughs> it's it's just damaging us. Yeah. In, incredibly so. So um, why don't you take it from there? And then there's so many different sure, uh, yeah. pathways we can go on to because there's so much information in the book. Right. And, and what I lay out in the book is genetically engineered crops are really the catalyst for this surge in glyphosate use. They, you know, the industry will talk about we need them to feed the world and it's about, you know, better yields and it's about utilizing resources in a more friendly way and drought tolerance and more nutrients, et cetera, et cetera. But the truth of the matter is that most of the genetically engineered crops grown and harvested in the world today carry the genetic trait to allow them to be sprayed directly with glyphosate-based herbicides. They are designed to encourage the use of this chemical, this synthetic pesticide known as glyphosate. Many people call it Roundup. So as long as we have that established, it's been, it's been a brilliant move by Monsanto. We've gone from about 40 million pounds a year in North America to about 300 million pounds a year used now. It's used on you know, dozens of food crops, everything from uh, avocados and almonds to cherries and you know, nuts. So it's well, not- 
Well, that's a good point too, because yeah. you know there's some confusion out there, and I just want you to elaborate on it. I don't want the people to miss this point, sure. because the crops you just mentioned are not right gen genetically engineered. But that doesn't just because a crop isn't genetically engineered doesn't mean it's used on that crop. Right. So why don't you expand on that and make that point clear? Yeah, because there's a lot of confusion. Thank you. I mean, <laughs> so genetically engineered crops that are glyphosate tolerant uh, can be sprayed directly with glyphosate, and they won't die. The weeds will, but the crops won't. So that's corn and soybeans and sugar beets and canola and alfalfa and things like that. Now, um, farmers have also used it, of course, just to, to treat weeds in fields and around plants. And that's what I was talking about earlier, sort of, you know, the avocados and the cherries that's used on tea plantations and coffee plantations. Uh, it's used, you know, with, as I said, about 70 different commonly consumed food crops. Uh, Monsanto also uh, was... <coughs> smart enough to market it to farmers like wheat farmers and oat farmers, barley, that sort of thing to be sprayed, <clears throat> to be sprayed directly on the crop shortly before harvest. So when the grain is mature, it's all, you know, they say the farmers can then go ahead and spray it directly on the crops. The crops will then dry out and essentially dry down and the farmers can harvest the crop in a more even and consistent way. Now what that does, it might be good for farmers, it might be good for sales, for glyphosate producers, but it leaves a lot of glyphosate residue in the finished foods. So we have, you know, documented uh, that glyphosate residues are in oatmeal, baby oatmeal that you're serving to your kids, right? And and in wheat and bread products. Uh, glyphosate's even been found in honey, for crying out loud, organic honey, even, which is more a function of bees and their desire to flit about than it is, uh, you know, pesticide application. But um, it's, again, it's pervasive in our, it's in our food, our water, uh, you know, our, our soil, our air, uh, and our own bodies, right? Well, let's go in next into some of the science of the toxicity is exactly precisely how glyphosate causes this damage and then maneuver into the history behind the collusion between the federal regulatory agencies and Monsanto and the other giants that are spreading this toxin. So first of all, you mentioned glyphosate and Roundup, two, two different entities, glyphosate being, of course, the main ingredient in Roundup, but Roundup itself is actually more toxic. Some believe significantly more toxic because right. it has a surfactant in there that allows that chemical to be absorbed more effectively and probably has some intrinsic toxicity independent of glyphosate. So, but uh, you can comment on that. And then let's we'll talk about the glyphosate, exactly how it works. Glyphosate, the gly in glyphosate is short for glycine. Glycine is an amino acid. It's a very common amino acid. And the reason it's important to know that is, and, it's, is, and it has a, these side chains attached to it that makes like phosphates that make it much more toxic, sort of organophosphate. So the reason it is important to know that is that the glycine gets substituted in when your body makes proteins. Every time you need a glycine, it can pop in that contaminated glycine and structurally just, just seriously uh, damage that protein and, and it causes toxicity. So, and then it affects these other pathways like the shikimate pathway and bacteria, which is a whole other story. And I said, oh, this, does, this pathway doesn't, doesn't affect us, just affects the bacteria. Uh, and we, you know, they had no clue and understanding that these bacteria make these uh, aromatic amino acids. And if you're not making them, they're not in the food. So it's just, it's just a, it's just a combination of craziness. But why don't you start uh, expanding on what I, some of the 
points I just mentioned. Yes, yes, and and uh, you're you're doing a better job probably than I can about this. There, over the years, as glyphosate use has increased, uh, researchers, of course, independent researchers, have taken a look at this, right, and and run mm -hmm. various studies. And we have epidemiology studies, which are exposure, real world human population exposures. We have a lot of toxicology, you know, rodent studies, obviously. That have been done and over the years there's been mounting concern because a lot of these studies have shown links between glyphosate and or roundup and you're right roundup has been shown in some of these studies to be more toxic more um, much more concerning than glyphosate alone because of the combination of glyphosate with surfactants like poea and others but um so the concern you know, shown it to, to cancer. We, we've seen DNA damage in certain exposed populations in some studies. We've seen links to non-Hodgkin lymphoma. We've seen yeah. links to... And let's stop there because I think that's a really great point that you make and, and, and it's, it's enormous. I want to get your insights as to the latest because your book obviously stops a few months ago and, you know, right, yeah. yeah, so we want to see what the update is, but the... Uh, the central issue is, and it seems to be pretty clear in the literature that established a, a causal, not an association, but a causal relationship between use of glyphosate or exposure to it and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So much so that when that exposed, I think it was even, was was it the World Health Organization that that claimed that? Fire. And then, the, then there was this massive uh, uh, rise in a number of lawsuits against them. So why don't you describe that? Because I think it's a really interesting story that you uh, yeah, related yeah. to. Yeah, I mean, and this is, you know, just really timely right now, of course, and there's all sort of political debate going on. But the International Agency for Research on Cancer, which is part of the World Health Organization, uh, two years ago in 2015, uh, made an announcement that they had looked at, they had put together a team of international scientists and looked at the literature on glyphosate, many years of many studies of glyphosate that were in the published peer reviewed literature and determined that when they put everything together, it probably causes cancer. It's a probable human carcinogen. This is from this International Association of Research on Cancer. These are the people who are independent scientists, tops in their fields from around the world. So uh, they didn't say it definitely causes cancer. They said probably. Mm -hmm. And they said the strongest association or the most positive link to a specific cancer was non-Hodgkin lymphoma. Mm -hmm. um, and they cited you know, various levels of evidence in different areas of science. Uh, and you know this they didn't think it was that controversial at the time now Monsanto flipped out as you might imagine <laughs> and Has has really been campaigning to discredit IARC uh, Ever since then and actually the documents show us and we talk about this They knew ahead of time even though Monsanto has declared that 40 years of research Providing mm -hmm. a consensus that glyphosate is safe internally they talk about expecting that, that IARC will find it to be either a probable or a possible human carcinogen. They anticipated this. And they said in, internally they were vulnerable with the epidemiology and the toxicology because they have also seen this body of scientific evidence grow showing problems with glyphosate. Um, but yet to the world, they have publicly, you know, made it appear as though, oh, they're shocked, they're outraged. How could IARC find it to be a carcinogen? That's crazy. And these IARC scientists have a political agenda and they're using junk science. And, you know, they've, 
They've set up organizations and, and different methods to try to discredit IARC. They've gone after IARC scientists. Um, they really have been on a mission for these past two and a half years to get that classification basically cast aside. And we, they're, they now are pushing Republicans in Congress to strip funding from IARC. You know, I mean, it's, it's uh, really fascinating rather than, than actually looking at the science, listening to the experts, being concerned and about how to possibly mitigate, you know, exposure um, to humans and 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 the risks to humans. In, instead, they're trying to discredit uh, these scientists and twist the truth. But Carrie, this is classic, absolute classic strategy. They did it with tobacco, same right. strategy, and they hired the same PR companies, and they're doing it in the telecommunications industries. Right. They discredit the objective. Right. Scientists who have integrity and are telling the truth right. and they have the funds to hire 10, 20, 30 other scientists that are on their payroll to discredit them. Right. And so and, so, and their strategy is as simple is to discredit the scientists, cause confusion and doubt in the consumers. Yeah. And if there's doubt, then, well, I don't know. It just doesn't seem right. And that's exactly the strategy. It's a very effective strategy. Oh, it's so much so. And putting this book together, you know, I've, I've encountered it over the years, but when you put it all together in the book, all the different strategies that they've employed to, to suppress scientists, to suppress science, to harass scientists, to discredit individuals, to control regulators and influence regulators, um, to ghostwrite and manipulate the scientific content out there. When you put all that together, it's it's a really alarming story of how we, the public, and our policymakers are being misled um, and, and really put in danger, not only human health, but our environment over the long term by this chemistry industry, you know, corruption, I suppose, is, is the word to use. And again, it's not just Monsanto and it's not just glyphosate. I mean, mm -hmm. we see this sure. with tobacco. We see it across industries. We see it very strongly in the in the chemical well, industry. Pharma industry and telecommunications, right. which may be the most pernicious. Right, and, and right. An area that most people aren't familiar with and the dangers of EMF exposure, so. Right, right. So, but you know, you choose to smoke a cigarette or you choose mm -hmm. to accept, you know, a different drug, but everybody eats, you know, right? I mean, we all eat. And and the fact that we don't know that this, this pesticide is in our food, is in our water, is in our urine, uh, I think that's a story. That's why I wrote the book. I mean, it's a story I yeah. feel people deserve to know and have a right to know. It's an important story that needs to be told. So can you give us an update on the current status of the non-Hodgkin's lymphomas? Uh, I believe it's a, is it a class action lawsuit that's, that's, Almost. or are these all, <laughs> okay, but I know they have a lot, there's a th more than a thousand suits against them. So the, the current total that the plaintiff's attorneys throw out there is 3,500 plaintiffs is what they okay. will say. The lead attorneys will say they have roughly 3,500 plaintiffs. Now, some of those plaintiffs are grouped together in lawsuits. 281 of those lawsuits have been put together in, they don't call it a class action, they call it multi-district litigation. It's got some okay. different ways that those cases proceed. And those are out being handled in federal court in San Francisco under one judge. And uh, that's the case, that federal case, where these attorneys have released a lot of internal Monsanto documents, you know, that mm. they've obtained through discovery. Uh, yes. they become known as the Monsanto Papers, uh, you know, because it really peels back the curtain on internal Monsanto workings and collaborations and, 
you know, that's, it's pretty scary stuff when you see what they say publicly so, is so very different from what they say internally and, and how they work to, you know, there was one, I was looking at a new one today that came out and one Monsanto scientist is talking about, he makes reference to five published peer reviewed papers that he has worked on, but that don't bear his name, you know, and this is, goes into this ghostwriting where they write papers Sure. But they come out into the literature and appear to be from unbiased, independent individuals, even though. Do you have, do, do you have any uh, insights or projections as to how the outcome of these cases might occur? Do you, do you, do you, I guess it's the tangent of that question, maybe the more important one is, do you believe that Monsanto's influence can in, uh, corrupt that federal judge in charge of this case and dismiss it or? Well, you know, they're, they're trying to get it dismissed, of course. Now, the, they did just get, there was a very key hearing. Uh, we refer to it as the Daubert hearing scheduled, mm -hmm. and it was scheduled for mid-December. And this was going to be a really important one. We had press coming in from, you know, overseas were planning to come to that. I, of course, had my plane tickets booked to go to this. This was going to be a public hearing where the lawyers for the plaintiffs laid out all the best evidence that this stuff can cause cancer. And they were going to bring in their expert witnesses, sworn testimony, public spotlight. Monsanto really didn't want that hearing to happen, especially considering the European Union right now is trying to decide whether or not to let glyphosate stay on the market. And they uh, lobbied the judge to move that hearing uh, into March. And so okay. the judge agreed last week to do that. Oh, that's sad. But hopefully that hearing will occur. So do you have any insights or... Uh intuition as to how the ultimate outcome of these cases may occur? You know, I mean, Judge Chabria, there are state uh, cases, of course, all around the country. And there's actually a trial date set for a state case uh, in June, coming up in June. In the federal court, Judge Chabria has really been, you know, seemingly pretty even handed. I mean, he's hammered Monsanto on a few things and hammered the plaintiffs on a few things and uh, seems to be really trying to manage the case quickly, no, that's good. but fairly, you know. So yeah, that's good. That's something that unfortunately a lot of the judicial system seems to lack. Yeah. So it's good to hear that. Yeah. So, you know, we, we talked about the clear association between glyphosate and uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, but it's important. I mean, when you say that, and it's just like the association with brain cancer and cell phone use, in some ways that's counterproductive to share that message because not many people know someone with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and we're spraying, you know, 300 million pounds every year in the U.S. So what's the big deal? Well, that cancer is probably, in my guess, probably one of the least significant issues. Although when you have it, of course, it's a problem, but it has a far wider systemic implications of, of the damage it does metabolically. Yeah. I mean, it's just profound. I mean, it is one of the most significant toxic exposures that we have by far. I mean, the only other one that even comes close to is EMF exposure. But you get both of those two together and you're literally talking for a potential prescription for the extinction of the species within a century. Mm. I mean, that if it, unless it goes on, if it goes unchecked. Well, and, and my concern, not being a scientist, you know, or a doctor, my concern is that, again, this is not one pesticide. We are mm -hmm. exposed to combinations of these pesticides in our food, in our water, every day. Chlorpyrifos, you know, is another one. Mm -hmm. Chlorpyrifos, according to the FDA, is the second most prevalent pesticide found on food samples today. 
It's found on fruits, commonly about 80% of the fruits carry chlorpyrifos, which as you know, you know, it's a Dow insecticide, Dow chemical, um, but it's been shown to cause neurodevelopmental problems in children, you know, to pregnant women exposed and very young children. Uh, it was scheduled to be banned. It's banned for household use because it's known to be so dangerous. It was scheduled to be banned for farming this year. Dow Chemical went into the EPA and sat down with the Trump folks and gave a million bucks to the Trump inaugural fund. And guess what? It's not going to be banned anymore. I mean, this is a bigger problem of corporate profit interests trumping public safety. And our policymakers, our regulators are not protecting the public. They are listening to the corporations. And, and so glyphosate is you know, shown to be damaging to human health, to environmental health, but there are so many others out there as well. And we're being exposed to all of them at the same time. I mean, yes. this, and, the, and the thing that we see, the United Nations, you know, the medical associations, even the EPA has on their website, everybody pretty much agrees that these pesticides are damaging to human health, that they are contributing to rising rates of, of cancers and other diseases in the population. We know that. They, they say pesticides are part of environmental contaminants. We need to get a handle on them. They're bad for our health. But if you want to talk about one particular pesticide like glyphosate or one particular pesticide like chlorpyrifos that make a lot of money for these corporations, then nobody wants to talk about you know, the disease that they may cause. Uh, it's, it's, it's a political, you know, as I said, it's a political game and it's putting corporate profits ahead of public safety. And that is the bigger message uh, of, of the book, Whitewashed. Right. And I want to dive into that because I think that's probably the most important message there and you do such a good job on it. And I, and I would disagree. And it's a game. This is far <laughs> more serious than a game. This yeah. is a very clever strategy that has will have devastating and has had devastating impacts on the health of this country. Right. And people are dying, dying and suffering needlessly. Right. I mean, how many people I know, I know I maybe not non-Hodgkin lymphoma, but I know people with breast cancer, brain cancer, pancreatic cancer, you know, Hodgkin lymphoma. Yeah. Not, I mean, it's all around us. And, and yeah, glyphosate doesn't help, but you know, there's a, you have to be careful because there's so many variables that contribute to it. You know, the oh, diet sure. being a key one, but but it's certainly a major contributing factor, no question. So why don't you expand on maybe how this collusion and corruption evolved, and you know how did it get to be so pervasive where you essentially the EPA cannot be trusted. It is absolutely an arm of Monsanto, no question. And to a large extent, that's true for the FDA. So why don't you enlighten us in this area? So, I mean, there's been evidence of EPA uh, alignment, collusion, however you want to say it, uh, with Monsanto that goes back decades, you know, uh, probably from the beginning of the EPA when it was formed, right, in the 1970s. Uh, EPA did bring over a lot of people from USDA when it was formed, and USDA's mission really has been not so much to regulate agriculture as to promote agriculture. So, I mean, that's sort of a problem just inherent in the infancy of the organization. Um, but EPA really does have that mindset to promote and support agriculture and chemical industry interests. Agrochemical are a big part of that. Now, you saw, for instance, in the 1980s, um, staff toxicologists at the EPA looking at a very early Monsanto study on glyphosate that they submitted, uh, mice, you know, exposed to glyphosate showed all these rare kidney tumors. 
the mice not exposed to glyphosate didn't have any tumors. And, you know, that's oversimplifying, of course, but the toxicologists in the EPA said, wow, this stuff looks like it could cause cancer. So we should classify it as though it you know, looks like it could cause cancer. And, uh, you know, thus ensued a long battle with Monsanto in which the staff toxicologists basically fought against Monsanto, told Monsanto it wasn't the EPA's job to protect Monsanto. They were supposed to protect the public, et cetera, et cetera. And they eventually were overruled, essentially, um, by the higher-ups in EPA. And it eventually was determined that these expert toxicologists within EPA, you know, were not going to rule the day, that it was going to be higher-ups, it was going to be Monsanto's assessment of the study, uh, which was that it showed there was no cause of cancer. And that's really been what we've seen over the years, is that Monsanto's own assessments of the science is what has driven the EPA's assessments of the science. Um, and we've seen it, we, we saw recently, um, I mean, I could talk about this all day, I find this just incredibly outrageous. Uh, there was a Health and Human Services Department review of glyphosate that was underway. Monsanto wanted it to go away. They talked internally about how worried they were about it. They went to the top brass at EPA and asked for assistance and got it, and it went away. Uh, and you can see all of that in internal emails and freedom of information documents where you can see these conversations going on. And again, you know, it serves Monsanto great. It doesn't serve the public very well, right? And yeah. we have a uh, Office of Inspector General now is investigating collusion between EPA and Monsanto because of this and many other examples uh, of EPA working on behalf of Monsanto. Well, let's discuss one of the most egregious examples, which is the USDA's pesticide data program or the pdp <laughs> oh, which they are crazy. checking and analyzing yeah uh, these residues of pesticides in our food products right. yet fail fail on steroids to ever even include the most common and pernicious maybe not pernicious but one of the most pernicious pesticides right. which is glyphosate right. and the justification it costs too much. Right. <laughs> yeah, so this has been my pet peeve, right, for years. You know, at Reuters, every year, the USDA would put out this report. They've done this for decades. They test over 10,000 samples of foods for hundreds of different pesticides. And every year, you know, I'd look at this and I'd go, hey, where's the data on glyphosate? Why aren't you testing for glyphosate? And that, you know, it's too expensive. It's really, really safe. So who cares if we test for it? You know, that kind of thing. Um, is what I would hear over and over. Now, they did start a program, or they were going to start a program that I saw through Freedom of Information documents uh, last year, and or was it this year? Gosh, my <laughs> time is flying. And mysteriously, just days before that testing program was to begin, it was called off. Uh, and so they still don't. Now, they did one special project the USDA did in the year 2011. They tested 300 soybean samples looking for glyphosate residues. And they found glyphosate residues in almost all the samples. And they decided Surprise. not to do it. No more <laughs> testing. No more testing. Now, it's noteworthy FDA has a separate testing program. They test about 6,000 food samples for hundreds of different pesticides. They also have not been testing for glyphosate for decades. They have been criticized, as has USDA, uh, by the uh, Government Accountability Office for not doing this. 
So they started a limiting testing program in 2016. They didn't talk about it. They didn't want anybody to know about it. Uh, they had a, one of their lead chemists in Atlanta did some testing. He found oatmeal products with the high glyphosate levels, honey samples with the glyphosate levels, other different products. And he was mysteriously pulled off of pesticide residue testing. Uh, and a memo has gone out that basically says no more honey. Please don't look in the honey anymore <laughs> for glyphosate. And, you know, they suspended the program, but now they say it's back on, but we still don't have any data on glyphosate residues in food, which to me just seems really suspicious. Yes. So we, we spent some time discussing the problems, and now I'd like to, like to focus a bit on the solutions. And it's important to understand that even though our federal regulatory agencies were absolutely conflicted and corrupted by the industry and refused to test for this chemical to let you become aware of the potential damage it's causing you, you have the ability to test for it yourself. And in the test environment that counts most, your body. So this, the HRI Institute uh, in Davenport, Iowa has a test that you can perform on your own urine. I'm not sure if it's random or fasting, but they will tell you to a very low sensitivity level. And this is a challenge because many of the companies out there offering testing that some companies are using, claiming their products have no glyphosate, are using a far inferior test and are using the wrong thresholds. So the technology is always improving, but the uh, current threshold for HRI, which is the one you want to be using or a lab that uses this sensitivity, is a half a part per billion or 40 parts per trillion. And if you're below that threshold, you're pretty good. And uh, the only way you're going to do this to, is to avoid processed foods because almost all processed foods have uh, been exposed to that, uh, the, the glyphosate. And it's fortunately, even organic foods, you know, it's, it's now there's so much being used. It's, it's raining glyphosate, so, which is such just a tragedy. But uh, so that and, and then um, growing your own food would be great. So why don't you expand on that? Because I think that's a, an important to know that we can, we have the capacity to take control of our health through these simple measures. And they're relatively inexpensive. So you don't have to rely on these uh, producers of food to do the right thing, have integrity and label their food and not use glyphosate. You can measure it yourself. And, and if you aren't, then you got to do some digging and find out one of your food choices is not good. Yeah, no, I, you've covered a lot of ground there. And I think that's important. I, I think on the testing, you know, what I have found and what I am frustrated by is that it isn't easy necessarily. I mean, it's great that you have this um, for people, this resource, but you know, I went in for my physical last year and said to my doctor, hey, when you take the blood and the urine, could you check it for glyphosate? And she said, no way. <laughs> yeah, what is glyphosate? And that's exactly what she said. What is it? And I wrote it out and spelled it, and she looked at her little no, list. Oh, that's so and she, tragic. You know, and of course she said, I have no idea what you're talking about. I can't order that test. So, you know, it's not part of mainstream medicine, and, and it should be, I think. And I've talked to people at the CDC about that. How are we ever going to really track and correlate, if possible, to disease with these pesticides in our bodies and in our systems if we don't track it, right? So I know your group and others, and there are various integrative medical doctors that are affiliated with laboratories who will run testing for glyphosate, heavy metals, other pesticides. Um, 
but mainstream medicine is not there, not at all, and not even turning in that direction, it doesn't seem like. Uh, so it's good that, that people have the resource like yours to check. Uh, and as far as how do you eat and avoid glyphosate, right? I no. mean, you mentioned <laughs> organics, obviously. Mm -hmm. I mean, organics are supposed to be grown without synthetic pesticides. Uh, we still have an issue with compost. Um, you know, it's, it's not a perfect system. It's, you're not guaranteed no pesticide whatsoever if you're buying organic. But you are pretty much, would you say, guaranteed a much lower level of exposure yes. to pesticides, right? And the, the label, the certification has recently been bastardized even further, and they allowed <laughs> hydroponics to be classified oh, as organic. Gosh, yes. That's a whole yeah, other... Were you aware of that? I expect you were. Oh, sure. That's they, a whole other storyline. Yeah, it's just oh, another <laughs> classic example of corruption. Well, the consumer demand and the growth in organics has, of course, attracted you know conventional food companies, very large food companies, to buy up smaller organic food companies, and they are wanting to promote changes to the standards, right? So to that will increase production and make them more efficient, more profitable, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, that's a whole another book, right? But. Mm -hmm. um, so it's encouraging to me to see, though, that food companies, we are starting to see food companies, uh, and I've been in meetings with some, who understand that this is sort of the next consumer movement. They've seen what happened with the non-GMO movement, mm -hmm. uh, and they see the next leg of that, sort of the glyphosate-free or pesticide-free or pesticide-reduced. They're very worried about consumers who are very worried about pesticides in their foods. And uh, you, Bungie recently, big grain handling company, uh, started con telling all of its grain producers, we're not going to take your grain if you desiccate it with glyphosate. Not going to do it. So it's in the contract. Yeah, there, there's are, there are some encouraging movements we're yeah. seeing. Um, and you know, really? animal products are, are even worse you know, because yeah. they concentrate the, the foods. That's all they eat, and they just bioaccumulate it. Right. So there are two companies, Tyson and Chick-fil-A, who have both chosen to go antibiotic free. Now that still doesn't mean there's their, their, their chickens are every bit as loaded with glyphosate as the others, but they're at least not getting the damaging uh, antibiotic resistant bacteria that could kill you and does kill thousands of people every year. So, you know, some of these com progressive companies are becoming sensitive to the public pressures. So the, remember you can vote with your pocketbook right. and you can make big differences here. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's got to come from the consumer voice, I think. Consumer education, being informed, being aware, and then being engaged. Uh, you know, people like you are out there spreading the message. Hopefully some people will read my book, you know, spread my little message. But, but it really is in the hands of consumers to make decisions. And you know what? And I tell people, if you understand that your strawberries might carry 20 different pesticides uh, and you don't care and you want to eat them anyway, like, that's your choice, I guess, right? Yeah. If you want to smoke, uh, you know, and you know it can cause cancer. The problem for me is when consumers are, are not given the truth, when information is hidden, when information is manipulated, you know, that's not fair and that's not right. And, you know, I work for the group US Right to Know, I guess, because that's what I believe consumers have a right to know about this. This is our lives, this is our health, this is our children's health and our future. So... Yeah, and congratulations on your group. They're just an exemplary organization uh, who have great uh, relationships with the media, so that they and and largely by um, implementing their rights through the FOIA request, the right. 
Freedom of Information Act are able to produce these incredible documents and you've made some massive improvements and expose these frauds. Maybe you can highlight some of the best things that the U.S. Right to Know has done. Oh, it's, gosh. It's a great yeah. organization. Well, thank you. We're very small, you know, very poor, very small, uh, little nonprofit. But yeah, I mean, what we do primarily is file freedom of information requests with uh, our federal government regular, you know, I do EPA, FDA, USDA. We file state records requests with academic universities, the taxpayer funded universities uh, to see where all this corporate money is flowing into and how it's influencing research and what's happening. And uh, it's been really alarming because it really has opened this window into this world that we maybe we didn't understand of profound corporate influence on people who, academic professors, for instance. We know mm -hmm. about the collusion with the regulators, but these academic professors who are teaching our young people and writing policy briefs to our lawmakers and appearing you know, and giving presentations around the world, in many cases, we're seeing where Monsanto made the presentations for them, sent them the slideshows, wrote the papers for them that appear on websites under their names. I mean, it's amazing uh, the network that Monsanto and the chemical industry has developed around the world of individuals who appear to be independent and unbiased who are really in collaboration with the chemical industry. It's astounding. Yeah, the, the absolute lack of transparency. You know, I give presentations across the country and many of the organizations that give presentation require me to disclose my conflict of interest. And this is, these, yeah. they, they, they may have them on steroids, these conflicts of interest, they never disclose them. Oh no my transparency. God. It's crazy. Well, and you know, many people, what resonates is a recent example, this guy named Henry Miller, who was mm -hmm. writing in Forbes magazine very frequently. And, you know, through the emails, we were able to see that Monsanto, you know, was assigning him and drafting for him these articles that would appear in Forbes magazine. Uh, you know, and, and many times, word for word, or almost word for word, you know, written by Monsanto, appearing in Forbes magazine under a name of someone who looks to be independent. So Forbes magazine, after these documents came out, severed its relationship with him. But this is, again, one example of one individual, something that's happening all over the place. Yes, indeed. So, um, you know, congratulations for you exposing this to the world because otherwise people just don't know. I mean, we don't have the time, effort, and energy to file these FOIA requests and follow up oh, on it. Yeah. It's a lot but, of work. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's so but, it, <laughs> but it produces a lot of good results. I mean, it, it basically opens the, the Pandora's box and shows what's inside. Right. That's what you see. Now, the government, you know, the EPA, I had to sue the EPA over this, one of my most recent requests. Uh, dealing with glyphosate and the cancer assessment, uh, they have turned over several thousand documents after we filed that lawsuit. So that's that's useful. But the government is not, you know, eager to cooperate. Uh, certainly, and neither are these academic universities. And you know, we've been attacked and it alleged that we're trying to stifle science and harass scientists and all sorts of you know false <laughs> false things like that. When all we really want is is truth and transparency for the public and the yeah. taxpayer. I mean, if these people, you know, these academics really believe in, you know, GMOs are wonderful and glyphosate is safe and, you know, these chemical companies are going to save the world, that's fine. But, but again, disclose the relationship, mm -hmm. disclose the funding, disclose the collaborations, uh, and then people can make up their own minds.
Well, well, let's go back to how you made up your mind because you were an investigative journalist for Reuters, and then you were on this beat with uh, food and farming, and right. and how long did it take you to come to the realization that there was that something wasn't right here before you, uh, so you know, you decided to shift, and then tell us about your shift and the consequences of that. Well, uh, so deciding something wasn't right with sort of Monsanto's message. I mean, that occurred, you know gosh, back in the early 2000s, uh, you know, when, when the message from the industry was not matching up with the reality on the ground. Uh, for instance, Monsanto was trying to introduce a Roundup Ready wheat, a wheat that, you know, was genetically altered to be sprayed with Roundup. Mm -hmm. Wheat farmers didn't want it. You know, and of course, Monsanto's message is always that the farmers need this. We're, you know, helping the farmers. We're bringing tools to the farmers that they desperately need. Farmers didn't want this. They and they were very vocal about it. And I wrote about it and went to a lot of meetings with farmers and um, export. You know, customers said, "If you introduce this, we won't buy wheat from you anymore." Like nobody wanted it except Monsanto, and they pushed it and pushed it and pushed it. And I guess that opened my eyes to this isn't about helping grow more food. This is about making more money. Um, you know, but fast forward then, you see all the weed resistance developing over the years. You see the, uh, the surge in use. You see the research developing, showing harm. Monsanto kept, as the more I would write about it, the more that the chemical industry, Monsanto, CropLife, Bio, others would hammer me, would hammer my editors, would write letters, would uh, harass me, try to discredit me, write terrible articles about me on their websites, you know, that sort of thing. Um, it was fine until I got a new editor uh, <laughs> in about, I think he came in late 2013, maybe 2014. And, and he didn't do well with the pressure um, mm -hmm. and became very concerned about it. And what, what, was, what was the pressure? From the industry. He, okay. he, he was and very... How, what did that, what, how did that... Uh manifest itself? I mean, was it calls, oh, letters, yeah, calls, calls of his letters, emails, every article, you know, they would say, uh, I shouldn't be quoting critics. I should only, mm -hmm. because only their side was valid. Only their science was valid. I shouldn't be trying to balance my article. Uh, it was a false balance was sort of the accusation. Um, and, you know, the editor became very nervous and very worried. It became very difficult uh, to do stories. At one point, he, I was instructed not to write about any more research, you know, about glyphosate. And I thought that was insane. <laughs> so, yeah. Let's yeah. just close the door. Let's not talk about it anymore. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it, it just became increasingly uh, obvious that I wasn't going to be able to continue to report fairly and accurately on what I thought was a really important topic. Did you try to go to his supervisor and present your case and see if you can override his objections? Well, and I, I did successfully do that, yes, a few times, uh, which, you know, did not <laughs> did not serve employee relations well, you know, because every time I'd go over his head, you know, that created tensions uh, in the workplace, mm -hmm. so to speak. So... Um, by the end of 2015, after the whole IARC situation, you know, it was it was clear it wasn't working out at Reuters. And so uh, U.S. Right to Know uh, offered me a wonderful position to just pretty much continue to do the research on the, <laughs> on the agrochemical industry and file Freedom of Information Act requests, you know, like crazy and read documents and write stories. So 
Wow, just without any pressure to suppress your information. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, there's still pressure. I still there's still the name calling and the you know hateful social media trolls and that sort of thing. But yeah, but your supervisor's not telling you to squash exactly. the story. Exactly. Yeah. That's a big difference. Yeah. So let's uh, go on a tangent now to uh -oh. the what your projections are for the future of Monsanto. As I understand it. I'm not sure the status of this. I should have looked it up beforehand, but I know there was a bid from Bayer, formerly IG Farben of <laughs> Germany, German fame. who had a lot to do with euthanizing people. Uh, but Bayer put in a bid to take them over. And I think that's passing or will pass. So can you comment on that, clarify my confusion and give your projections as to what the outcome of that right. uh, yeah. merger will be? So that, that is one of the, the big blockbuster mergers in the agrochemical industry, right? Um, Dow and DuPont, Syngenta and ChemChina, and Bayer and Monsanto. Well, Bayer and Monsanto is the only big blockbuster merger that is still not completed. Uh, mm -hmm. And the companies had hoped to have that done by now. It's about $65, $66 billion uh, estimated. It's the size of the deal. Uh, but European regulators are not so sure it's a good idea. And uh, mm, right. <laughs> they are pushing back a little bit and probing. And, and so it's been there's delayed. No, there's no way U.S. regulators are going to say that. <laughs> no <laughs> way. They've been bought and sold a long time ago. So, you know, now, I mean, that adds a level of uncertainty. But still, I think the, you know, the gamblers have their money on the deal going through. Uh, sometime in early 2018 is what the companies are now projecting. So, you know, we shall see. There are a lot of farmers, obviously, and, and uh, citizen groups and others who say this, you know, when you put so much power and you concentrate so much power over seeds and chemicals into one company like that, uh, well, and essentially into three, if you look at Dow and DuPont being merged and Xinjiang and ChemChina, you're really limiting choices and pricing um, mm -hmm. options for farmers. So again, maybe a good deal for the corporations, but not for the- Oh, no, definitely a good deal. Otherwise they wouldn't do it. Yeah. So what 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 do you, uh, get, can you give provide many projections if you can see the most, most significant downside of this merger? Well, I mean, that's, you know, what we can see is that farmers, we've already seen through consolidation and sort of the power uh, and the money wielded by these big companies, we've already seen um, a reduction in seed options for farmers, for instance. We've already seen control of germplasm be placed in the hands of these companies. We've, we've seen pricing, you know, be dominated by these companies. So farmers, you know, say, they talk about if they want to grow something that's non-GMO or that has a specific, you know, um, a benefit in their geography, sometimes it's really hard for them to find it. Because if it's not, you know, beneficial and highly profitable for these companies, it may not even exist anymore. Yeah. So uh, you've got a, a, a great job in compiling all this information. And if anyone has any doubt <clears throat> or has been confused by, which is not an unreasonable, uh, rational reaction to what you read in the media, there's a lot of... Uh, justification for being confused. Certainly. So if you want to clear up that confusion and, and you're concerned about this area, then pick up a copy of Whitewash. I mean, it's, it'll definitely do a job on giving you the real information and the deep insights as to what is happening with your food. And, and as we discussed, some really good solutions like growing your own food and making, you know, confirming objectively that you are not contaminated. And, you know, a, a common way, as I said, processed foods, but people don't necessarily consider 
eating at a restaurant processed foods, but I can assure you they are. There, you are getting processed foods to the max for them. In most cases, there are some restaurants, of course, that's not farm to table. Restaurants, of course, would be an exception. And, and many other ones that really focus on the quality of the food. I mean, thank God they exist. But the typical restaurant, certainly a chain restaurants, that is not the case. And if you're eating there on a regular basis, you're gonna have, you're gonna have be exposed to glyphosate. Yeah. Just that's the nature of the beast. And, and especially if you're eating animal, animal protein, you know, because that's where it's concentrated and you got to pay really serious diligence to make sure the only animal protein you eat is from animals that were not exposed to glyphosate grain, yeah. which is the rare exception. My guess is well under 5%, probably under 1% to 2% of the animals that are raised in this country. Yeah. I mean, the interesting thing, too, to me to note about that is while we don't test here in the U.S., our government doesn't test we do test for, for grains and alfalfa and other things that are going overseas. You know, mm -hmm. we, we have a grain inspection agency that does glyphosate testing on different grains, um, not that are destined for American dinner plates, but that are destined for foreign dinner plates. Why? Because so many countries around the world don't want it. They don't want glyphosate residues in their foods. Uh, here in the they, U.S., they, you know, and they, and they just give it to the dumb Americans. <laughs> but but all of us dumb Americans who are too busy worrying about other things, I guess. Uh, right. You know, so <laughs> there's a lot to enough be concerned about for sure. Right. Not it, not not a dearth of those things. That's for sure. It's not. It's not. We shouldn't even be laughing. Like I don't even like to smile about it because it's it's important and it's serious. You know, and it's not funny. Um, mm -hmm. But it's hard to get people interested. It's not, you know, as I said to my publisher about this book, is anybody going to read a book about glyphosate? <laughs> I mean, say the word, right? And people's <clears throat> eyes glaze over, but I'm hoping people will understand it's not so much about a one chemical. Mm -hmm. it's, it's about what has been done to our food system, to our health, how one company is like many other companies is able to push this into our world in a, in, a, in a twisted and manipulated way that leaves us in the dark, but leaves them reaping in the profits, you know? And it's, it's not fair and it's something we all need to be aware of. Yes, indeed. And I think that's a really good summary of your work. Uh, <laughs> and uh, as I said, it's a great book, Whitewash, uh, that will give you uh, enormous insights and in far more detail than we went into this relatively brief interview. So any, any other questions? Uh, concluding words of wisdom from your research? Oh gosh, the one that sticks in my head is probably not good, but um, <laughs> no, uh, a friend at the New York Times read the book and her commentary was, gosh, I don't want to eat anything in my refrigerator anymore. Like it, you know, <laughs> people read the book and they say it's really well written and easy to read, but wow, I just, uh, it makes me nervous and angry and <laughs> emotional. So well, and let, we don't want to definitely don't want to end on a down note. So <laughs> let me counter that okay. and say that yes, you should be concerned. Your friend at the New York Times had absolutely every right now that she was aware of information. And you know, and let me just comment briefly on the awareness of just something as GMOs. When we first catalyzed our prod the project to have GMOs labeled in California, which was what, five, six years ago, the, the average person, the average consumer had no concept of what a GMO was. They never heard of it. So glyphosate is the next level. It's a little deeper, but we're, we're, but the average consumer more and more are becoming aware. Even if you, 
and maybe even some of the doctors will know what it is. But it, it, but, but there is hope, and you can take control of your health. You can easily do this. It's not that hard. You just have to eat real food. Get your, and then, you know, once you've gotten to a habit, do that for a few weeks, a few months, and then get your urine tested. I had mine urine tested, and it was below the level of th detection of threshold. So, you know, once you once you know that your patterns are good, you don't have to measure something that's, it's not something you measure every year, like your iron level or vitamin D. You just have to make sure that you have good patterns. And if you change your patterns and retest it, but unless, you, unless you're not, you know, so it's, it, there is hope. You can do it. We, thankfully, we live in an advanced country that has the capacity the ability where we if we, we have a free freedom of choice and, and we can select these outs yes it's going to take a little more time and energy yes you might have to sacrifice other things to do in your life but it's worth it you're going to you're not going to be crippled up with disease dying prematurely uh from alzheimer's or cancer or diabetes or bobs as a result of eating these types of foods and you and you'll you'll experience radiant health and joy when you start engaging these healthy lifestyles so it's a massively great investment of your time and energy and you you alone will reap the benefits so you don't have to become disillusioned and disheartened like the, the your friend who was at the new york times and you just have to understand that this that i can do it we live in a free country we're not, we're not mandated what we have to eat we can still choose true well said <laughs> i always like to leave on a positive note you know that give people the hope that they have because it really is we uh, thank god we live in a free society now the society is messed up profoundly with the, con right. the con corruption and con conflicts of interest. Federal regulatory agencies just are almost worse, they're worse than worthless because they give you the illusion that they're doing their job and they're not. Right. They're, giving you they're giving you false information, misinformation, disinformation. Yeah. That's what so, we're seeing. And, and we yeah. need to change it. We need to not only you know make decisions for ourselves to eat more healthy, but I'm hoping that people will be motivated to you know, try to have an influence on public policy and try to yeah. push for more transparency and more healthy choices. Yeah, and, and, and the, 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 you know, just to, to put a cap on that is to realize that you can make a difference, not only for you, but for your friends and your neighbors and your relatives. You know, if you start sincerely sharing with them and, you know, not, not harassing them, uh, but just sharing and letting them know, and then, you know, the, the word starts to spread. And this is a grassroots effort for, for sure. This is not coming from the top down. This, the only change is going to come from the bottom up. Definitely. There's no doubt in my mind. So Definitely. this is you, you can make a difference in this thing. Definitely. Well, great. Thank you for well, talking to me about this and for reading Whitewash. <laughs> yeah, it was good. I, you know, I, I've learned, I, I knew much of the book already because of yeah. the, you know, my interest in this area, but there was still a lot of great information in there that really puts it all together in one place. And so for someone new, this is certainly a magnificent place to start. And as I said, it's like one of the best investments you get. I mean, books, I mean, I read about 150 books a year and there's, I mean, uh, and it's such a great twenty dollars. It's like it's almost free, right. you know. So, yeah. you know, you're, if you want to, I mean, compared to the the thousands, thousands, tens of thousands of hours you put in to write that book. Yeah, yeah. I've sifted through the documents and laid out the best ones for you. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so there thank you, you for thank yeah. you for doing that and making this ma magnificent resource available. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate it.